topic, you know, he drinks it. Like, so I mean, makes me want to get to that topic, but I'm laying foundation first. But I do want to talk about the great tribulation, you know, and uh, how, how that might be helpful for us. We'll probably take it from a different angle than what we've heard in the past. But hopefully it'll be useful and um, it'll give you, you know, encourage you. So let's read Matthew 24. We're going to continue. Uh, and then we'll, we'll read this for maybe a couple months. We'll, we'll be talking on this topic. But let's read Matthew 24, verses 1 through 22. Jesus left the temple and was going away, and his disciples came and pointed out to him buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, don't you? Do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And he sat on the Mount of Olives. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name. They will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of war and see that they're not armed. This is take place from the end of not yet. The nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the, of the birth pains, and they will deliver you up to tribulation. And you will be hated by all nations. And they will be attacked. And then if many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom, which is proclaimed throughout the whole world, has a testimony to joy. And then the end will when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet and standing in holy places, let the reader understand. And let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in the house. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take what is in the house. Alas, for women who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that his life may not be winter or on a then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world, and since that was known, and then it will be seen. But these days have not been cut short, but a human being will be saved, and for the sake of your life, those days will be cut short. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that disciples of Jesus Christ can ask all these things to you, that you can begin to unfold to our life. Lord, we, we look at our world today, we can't help but to see those in their desolation, wicked places. Oh Lord, all around us, destruction of families, there's so much lawlessness and perversion. It's overwhelming. Overwhelming. Lord, just 
pray that you would grant us and pour the foundation so that we can be the people you want us to be. That we would live our lives, Lord, as children of light. That we allow the truth of Christ to shine in the midst of this dark and hurtful age. That's why I pray, Father, for your grace. I pray that you would strengthen us today. I pray that you would instruct us in your ways of truth. I pray that you would like just cause us to be clear. Help us not to go beyond the word of God. Help us to be faithful to the word of God. Help us to, Lord, approach your word with great humility and trembling. And that you would grant us wisdom and understanding to be able to understand the things that are you want us to understand so that we might not grow in knowledge, Lord, but the knowledge puffs up, but that we might grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ so that we might give you praise and glory and honor. And so may you use these, Lord, all, all that we speak in this pulpit, in this house, in this pulpit, may it be used for the glory of Jesus Christ, that we might draw closer to you, we become more and more conformed to the image of the Son, and that we will be a people of hope, and a people that can be prepared for these days that are up before us, that we, that we would be the people you called us to be in this time of darkness. And so we simply ask you for your blessing, your anointing, Grant us, Lord, that you would speak, deliver us from lies, and set us free to the truth. Lord, Lord yourself, you say you shall know the truth, and the truth set, will set you free. So may you do your work today, we pray. Amen. So we, we started this a few weeks ago. I wanted to encourage your faith and all that we're going through. <coughs> so what are the believer's foundations of this troubled world? Living in a very troubled world. You know, I don't know about you, but when I went to uh, my Thanksgiving, I came home and my heart was troubled. You know, as, as it has been for the past couple of weeks, sometimes I feel overwhelmed that so many people are perishing. Have, 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 have you ever felt that? You look around, very nice people. And my heart breaks because I realize, wow, people really don't have Christ in their life. Nice people don't have Christ. And sometimes it's a heavy burden, you know, and I'll tell you, Lord, I would, I would come to prayer and I would just start sobbing. I have, to, I have this sadness in my soul, I just have to sob. And it was just something that was just, uh, just in my heart, it really, it really, uh, just, just the, the idea that so many people are present. So many people don't, are without Christ. Nice people, very, very nice people are without Christ. People that we love. So you have that aspect that you have, and you see what's happening in the world, and you see what's just, may the Lord have, get, grant the strength because it's going to be difficult in the days ahead. As we get real, as we get real with God, and we take God's words, and we take, you know, you know, if, we, if we're not, if we're oblivious to God's word, then yeah, we will, we will feel the burden, but if we start to really pay attention to the word of God. So I want to build foundations, and um, what are the kind of foundations that you and I can need in this trouble? How are you going to endure? Remember we read in, in Matthew 24, who, the one who endures to the end will be. What, how will you endure? It's going to be by the grace of God. Only by the grace of God. Amen? But, the, but that grace will, there, there, there are means by which that grace flows one of the means is the knowledge of God. The knowledge. We're going to have to know God. We're going to have to know God in these troubled days. 
know, our hope. We're going to need to know, you know. And so, one of the things that we need, I believe, that is going to be important and be very troubling, though, you know, as we, uh, as we move closer to the great tribulation, uh, as everything is, is accelerating towards that, right? Um, you, we need to know that all that takes place in the world and in our lives are ordained by God. So that's, that's a foundation of truth. We just have to reckon with that. Otherwise, you might consider the world to be chaotic. Um, you'll, you'll think that the world is just a, a sequence of cause and effect, right? Well, this happens because this happens. No more, nothing more, nothing less. You know, and, um, and cause and effect will, will, will go on. But we're going to need to have a greater understanding of God um, in these days that are coming. We need to understand that all things that take place in our world That's a hard truth, you know. Look at Lamentations 3.37. Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord had commanded it? And so just, just really understanding this great truth. And these truths are revealed to us particularly in times of distress, not in times of prosperity. In times of great distress, in times of great tribulation, great trouble, God begins to show himself to his people. And he, and he as he did in Jeremiah in the midst of Lamentations. And now, um, he told in the midst of that devastation in Jerusalem, the Babylonian God raised up the Babylonians, right? It was God that raised up the Babylonians, not that the Babylonians had ambition. Yes, they did, but ultimately God raised up the Babylonians. In fact, God called the Babylonians my servants. That's pretty, pretty devastating. He calls, you know, in the book of Joel, he calls them my army. That's pretty a demonic army of, of, of wicked people, the Lord said, that's my army. They go where I command. It's pretty, that's a pretty astonishing. But it, it, but it makes God look great, right? So, so verse 13, is it not from the mouth of the Lord most high that good and bad come? Is it not from the mouth good and bad come? So, the, so as, you, as, you, as you face the trouble in your life, as, as you face trouble in the world, you're going to need to lay hold of this truth. The only way to lay hold of this truth is to go to the Bible. It, this is not natural. You, you'll never discover this by way of your own reason. You can only discover it by way of, of getting into the scriptures. But today, I, I, I'm going to pause this a little bit <laughs> because I can tell I'm um, not pausing, but I'm going to start. I want to take a moment to consider a very important, in view of what we just said. But today's going to be more instruction, right? lest anyone, um, lest anyone might make some bad assumptions. What I want to do is I want to consider the relationship between that truth, the sovereignty of God, absolute, and man's and moral responsibility. So we've said a lot about God ordains all things, right? Amen? Um, you know, but what can we say about man's moral responsibility? I'm going to continue to push um, uh, this idea of the greatness of God, but I do want to take a moment to build a relationship because some, sometimes questions can arise. Questions can arise in your mind. Well, then if God ordains all things, then does it matter what we do? And th that's a valid question. So I think I think um, I felt let me let me address that before we go any further. Um, 
I think it's fair to say that most people have a decent understanding of man's moral responsibility. Uh, but it's probably uh, it's right to say that people struggle with the idea that God ordains all things. I think it's fair to say that. Um, so, um, so I've spent you know some time trying to lay that foundation, and, and we will continue to do that. Uh, but, but, but it's important to understand the distinction between responsibilities and man's responsibility, and. Um, and, and the absolute sovereignty of God. So let's let's go right into it. Uh, what is this relationship between the absolute sovereignty of God in ordaining all things that come to pass and man's moral responsibility? So first of all, you know the sovereignty of God. What does that that refers to? The this idea that God ordains all things, right? So God ordains all things in the world that takes place. Nothing and nothing happens by chance. The idea that nothing is accidental. Everything happens well coordinated. There's intelligence in every act. So I drop this battery. The only way that I can drop that battery is if God ordained it. So, I, I, so if God had not ordained it, I would not be able to do that. So everything that happens, God ordains. But it appears that on the surface, I'm the only one deciding that. <laughs> right? It, it appears on the surface, but the Bible paints a picture that God is literally nothing that does not contribute to his glory. So that, that's, you know, everything is governed by God. So, you know, nothing happens simply because we are in a, a fallen world. Nothing happens simply, you know. Uh, I'll never forget when I had this experience when I was a kid. Young believer, maybe I was saved, maybe less than a year. Something bad had happened in my father. You know, I, I did not know that this question would become an important question when I was saved. Something bad had happened, and I asked my father, who was the father of the pastor? Okay? You know, and I asked my father, you know, why, why did that happen? And I'm not forget the answer he gave me. And he basically said to me, and I never forget what he said, Well, my one, um, we live in a fallen world. And I could see, and I could tell that in his eyes, he had some experience in his life where he had been hurt. And it was almost like saying, look, suck it up. You're not going to suck it up to the pastor. Suck it up. I remember, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. It was, it was one of those things. I remember a lot of things. I'll come my conversation with my dad, but that was definitely one of them. I was like, and I was just yelling the Lord, but he's a pastor, so I'm like, See, I, I was so in love with Jesus Christ. For me, Jesus Christ was everything. So for me, it, it like darkened. It brought a little darkness to, oh, maybe Jesus is not as great as I thought he was. That was the result. So you can see immediately. I don't like that feeling. Like, what? I'm just a victim of circumstances. Things happen to suck it up to the same time. That's what the Lord has to do. So, and I didn't, I'll never forget, I, I went home and, and I thought about it, I, but I was not inclined, so it didn't, you know, it bothered me at the moment, and I just left. You know, I saw the picture, and I 
And thank God that the Lord has answered. Like years later, the Lord has answered. And, and Lamentations, I know, Lamentations 337 is a scripture that rocked my system. I get to read Lamentations. That was a scripture that I read years ago, and I was like, what? Who has spoken? And it came to pass. We have Lamentations 337. And it came to pass, unless the Lord. That was the scripture that stopped years ago. Yeah, that was, that was what I read. And I couldn't pass it because I knew the context. And God began to show me something else. Amen. And uh, I love what it says about, uh, about Joseph. And, and, and look at Genesis 41. Genesis 41. Uh, verse four, uh, 41, verse 41. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, now Joseph is a type of Jesus Christ. Joseph is a type of Jesus. And so these stories are beautiful because we get to understand what Jesus is all about. I have set you over all the land of Egypt. How much of the land of Egypt? All of them. I have set you, Joseph, over all. There isn't a spot in Egypt where you, your reign, is not. That's something to say. It's like, so obviously these are, these are historical narratives, but you have to translate them in, in Jesus. So, Jesus, I accept you over everything. Everything, right? Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And clothed him in garments and fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, bow the knee, bow the knee. Right? So this is uh, Joseph is being glorified. Je Joseph is being exalted. Right? Uh, a type of Jesus Christ, right? Uh, Type of Jesus Christ. Again, okay. so wrapped up in the story of the disciple Jesus. Uh, thus he sent him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land. <laughs> Talk about, I love, I love these historical narratives because they describe Obviously, in the context of Joseph, there, there's an explanation, right? There's, there's, there's a, but when you take that story and you elevate it to Christ, it's an absolute reality. Not a hand or foot or finger wiggles without Christ. So this beautiful ma majesty just control of everything. However, understanding the relation between that and man's responsibility is not an easy thing. So how do you, how do you, how do, you um, how do we, you know, so I want to talk about this. Sometimes this is difficult because the problem is that we can go too far. And, and we, need, we need both. We need both to understand. How can we go too far? We go too far from when our understanding of God's sovereignty violates the principle of man's moral so it's, so it's important that you, know, you have both. Now, I will tell you that man's, that God's sovereignty is ultimate, supreme over man's responsibility. Supreme, no doubt about it. But don't 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 violate it. Don't 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 get into uh, the error that uh, somehow, well, God's in control; He will do everything, and I don't need to do anything. No, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. 
So if, if, if uh, right, if God's sovereignty in ordaining all things does away with man's responsibility, we have a theological problem. We have a basic problem, right? And what do we mean by theological problem? Means that we that we have an understanding of God that's not correct, uh, right? What is a theological problem? Well, let's go to Romans nine nineteen. Let us go to Romans nine nineteen, and and this is the problem that that, that it's important for us to hold both and right both together. God ordains all things that happen, and yet man is responsible. So he's like, Romans 9, 19, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? In Romans 9, 19, Paul is raising a common objection, right, um, that can arise and often arises from it, and a bad understanding of the sovereignty of God with respect to man's moral responsibility. So, this is now because this is in the scriptures. I think we, we need to pay close attention to what Paul is saying. There are a lot of objections that can arise from many questions of theology, but it's interesting that this one is actually in the scriptures. So, I believe that that, that Romans nine nineteen has been very helpful. Now, the objection in Romans nine nineteen states implicitly. Two propositions. And let's look at that. Um, and so you know, it, it states two propositions that appear to contradict each other. Let's look at that. The first proposition that the objection states, right, is that God finds fault. Right? Why does he still find fault? What's the assumption there? The assumption is that he still Sobering. He finds fault. You have to reckon with that. <laughs> he finds fault. Right? The question assumes that God finds fault. What does, the, what does the word find fault mean? It means to blame. To accuse. God, let me put it to you in very simple terms. God finds legitimate reasons to blame man for his actions. They're not made up. God finds legitimate reasons to blame man. God finds so we have to recognize, right? So it's um, in other words, the question recognizes that as far as God is concerned, man bears the primary blame. As a responsible moral agent. It's heavy, right? This is sobering because we don't like to think of God finding fault. We don't like to think of that. But that's our American Christian, I don't know, sometimes the Bible makes it very clear. He finds fault. You know, God can say to every man, your sins are your fault. God says that. Right? So, so it, this is sobering. Right? This is, this is not, he, he, he does it like, he says, it's your fault. I have found fault. Right? So the first question in Romans Roman 19 assumes man's moral responsibility before God. 
But we have that side of it. But there's a second proposition that is stated both from the Quran and Sunnah. The second proposition that is stated implicitly is that what? No one can against his will. <laughs> right? This is, this is hard stuff, right? No one can resist his will. Wow. <laughs> you know, you got these two pillars. Nobody, nobody can resist God's will. And, you know, God's will refers to, you know, we could, and we've mentioned this, for those who might have a, a weird understanding of God's will, it just refers to his pleasure. The word will, now, the idea of pleasure, pleasure. What, what's his pleasure? You know, God's a God of tremendous pleasure. So God exists in this, like, pleasure. <laughs> he's the true pleasure item. <laughs> you know, like, he's, he's just, he's just abounds in pleasure. And all that he does, you might say, what is it that makes God do anything? And some of you have already been in this church for some, some time, and you've learned this. That the, there's just one thing that, that, that causes God to do anything, and that is? Pleases him. That pleases him. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, you know, it, 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 and when you study that, you begin to realize that, well, you know, well, I guess God's looking the same way. We're the same way, not because that's sinful. We're the same way because God made us in His image. The problem is what is what we please. The problem is the object of our pleasures, right? But the mechanism for pleasure it comes from God. Amen. Amen. God is a God of delight, a God of pleasure, through and through. And so, one reason why he hates sin is because sin has pleasure for a for a season. In other words, it doesn't last. God wants you to have what kind of pleasure? Eternal. Psalm 135, verse 6. Psalm 135, verse 6. So for those of you who may, this is, this is theologically foundational. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. This is an absolute statement. Where does that statement apply? Where does that apply? To what? In heaven and on earth. Right? In other words, in every realm, whatever the Lord pleases, that's what he does. So that's beautiful because that helped me to pray better. How does that help me to pray better? Right? You start to say, okay, I'm not going to persuade God because I prayed four hours. Lord, you know, can you give me this? I prayed four hours. I read my Bible today. Can you give me a piece of paper? So that's how most, most of us pray. Lord, I've been good. I've done this. Can you do that for me? And guess what? I learned to pray. I said, Lord, if it pleases you, <laughs> grant me 
I, the only way he's going to grant it to me if it pleases him. He's not sympathetic. <laughs> it has to please them. So that everything that we receive from God, we know that we received it because now what if the Lord pleases That's what he does. That's an absolute statement. There's nothing that God there's nothing that God has ever done that has not pleased him. <laughs> is, that, is that awesome? <laughs> But there is a reality in this. He is everything that he does is because ultimately he pleases him. So who can resist what God pleases to ordain? Let's go back to Romans 9. Alright? Uh, who can resist what God pleases to? Nobody. Nobody can resist what God has pleased to ordain. Right, this is the clear testimony. Look at Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20. And said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand. But you have this glorious picture of God, right? Now, when we come back to Romans 9:19, let's look at Romans 9:19. The interesting it's interesting to observe if you're, if you're a student of the scripture and you meditate carefully on Romans 9.19, you will discover something about the objection or something about the objector. Which is, it's pretty, I think it's important for us to kind of uh, make a note so that you can you know, start making adjustments mentally. Here's what, one thing that you'll notice in Romans 9.19. The question, there's something that the objector does not question. He does not question the supremacy of God's will over all things. That's not the issue. The objector is not like you know, uh, questioning right, um, uh, the supremacy of God's will. But he does bring into question something else. Not the supremacy of God's will. What does he bring into question? Why does he still find fault with man? In other words, uh, is man really accountable? That's the issue for the objector. Very, very important observation. Very, very important. The, the question in the mind of the objector, in light of the supremacy of God's will on all things, is how can God blame man for anything? What's, what's up with that? If God ordains all things, how can he blame man? In other words, he's saying God has no valid basis, right? Right? For blaming man. You know, but, he, but it's interesting that he takes it for granted that nobody blames his will. He also takes that for granted. He doesn't debate that. I found that very interesting. The supremacy of God's sovereignty is not up for debate, in, even in the mind of this objector. What does that mean? You know, I was thinking about that. I said, what does that show about the culture? 
it, this, is, this is what it shows. It, it shows that in those cultures, they were less man-centered. They were more God-centered. Right? They were more God-centered. No, no, no. God's not going to But as for you and I and our mechanism of the will, let's debate that. But the sovereignty of God, no, that's no, there's no point of debating that. You see that? That's not the modern line, by the way. If this question would have been phrased in the 21st century, how would it have, how would it have read? Would it have read like that? No. I, I think here's what I, I came up with something. Um, this is what he would have said. The modern man would have said, how can God's will be sovereign and irresistible since man has a free will and is ultimately responsible? I think it would have been reversed. You see that? So that the question in the modern mind is the issue of man's free will, that's established. That's not debatable. But God's supremacy is wrong the other way around. Amen? Amen. Now that's hard for us as 21st, we are in this 21st century, and we 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 breathe the air of the 21st century. And so we are all affected by this mindset. Let's be honest. So we have to make adjustments because the world around us. Would think the reverse of this. I remember, I'll never forget when Larry King, I'm mean, even watch Larry King, September 11th, September 11th. And you go on TV, and they would bring these pastors into Larry King. And Larry would be like, uh, Reverend, they ask you a question. Why is it happening? Why this September 11th? Why the bomb? 100% of the time, I turned off the TV. The answer is given to us in Amos 3.6. Amos 3.6. Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? But Larry, according to the prophet Amos, September 11th is a disaster. It really is a disaster. But according to the prophet, And that question, uh-oh, Lord, why have you done it? Ah, right? I, that question, it's easy to say, well, man's free will. Well, I'm free, right? No, but the question of, Lord, why have you done it? Come face to face with God. You do not system, broken system that can hold no water. Right? It, when you ask that question, right, and you honor before God, now you gotta face God as the one, Lord, forget about why has it happened? So I mean, if, if people were to live like that, I think there'll be more repentance, right? 
But the objection, you know, like I said, he doesn't he doesn't question the supremacy of God's will, but he does question why did he find it fall? And that's the question. That's the question. And I, and I do think that the question, the question is a bad one. But it is a danger. If you can think too much of God, that God ordains all things, you too, let's go to Romans 19. You too are in danger. I'm going to say it again. You too, you and I are both in danger of asking the same question. Why does he find fault? If you're not careful. Right? I remember a time coming across the valley of that decision. And then why do you find fault, Lord? You ordained all things. Right? There's a danger of going too far. And Romans 19 gives us gives us a, a, this battle, right? This, 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 this objection is being raised in the scriptures because I think this objection will, does come to us, right? God has no valid basis for blaming man since God ordained all things. No, don't believe that lie. If man cannot be blamed, then God cannot judge righteously. If God cannot judge righteously, then the scriptures are broken, right? Why? Look at Psalm 28.4. Psalm 28.4, very, very important. Give them, give to them according to what? Their work. Their work. Whose work? Theirs. It's their work. They've done it. Right? It, it's the idea like, hey, according to the evil of what? Their deeds. Their deeds. Give to them according to the work of? Their hands. Their hands. Render to them their due reward. Like, so the idea that, right? Look, at Revelation, Revelation 20.13. Revelation 20.13. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead and, and who were in them, and they were judged. Who judged? God did. God judged them. For what? Each one of them, according to what they had done. So we have to reckon with the reality of man as a responsible agent before God, even though God ordains all things. Right? And that we have to wrestle with that. It's okay. But I think sometimes there is a tendency among those who believe the sons of God become morally lazy. We become lazy. Well, Eli, Eli is a perfect example. Eli, the, the, the ministry of Eli was in shambles. The, the children were fornicating, and and they they proclaimed judgment. And Sam was, hey, 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 what did that tell you? Like, last night. <laughs> what, did, what, did, what, what, did, what did the Lord say to you last night? Samuel, Eli knew, and then, and then he began to tell Eli. And what does Eli's respond? Well, the Lord's going to do whatever he's going to do. No! Repent! <laughs> Turn away from wickedness! Right? Don't, well, don't just say, well, whatever, God's sovereignly prepared. No! So these are two dangers, right? Two dangers of going too far. First, we begin to question the validity of man's moral responsibility. And we don't want to do that. I want to make sure that even as we talk about the sovereignty of God, you know, gaining all things, and we're going to celebrate that. And we're going to rejoice in that. But be careful. Don't think that that means that you're no longer morally responsible for that. Amen? Amen. Um, but second of all, even worse, not only do we question man's moral responsibility, we begin to question the righteous judgment of God. God should not should have God. So we basically uh, defame God's name in now, let me just go quickly, and then we'll just record. So we conclude that the 
God finds fault in man, then the, the absolute sovereignty of God in ordaining all things that take place does not violate the confidence of God. So don't, don't, don't wrestle with these questions. Go to the scriptures and ask God to strengthen you when you need help. Because we need to know that God is uh, in complete control of the world, but then God's calling us to action. God wants us to be obedient. God wants us to walk in obedience. you got to hold those two. So the proposition that God finds fault and no one can resist his will are true at the same time. That's it. As far as, as, far as God's will, they're true. Now, it's interesting. Let's look at how Paul responds to this question. This response of Paul is actually very, 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 it helps us understand better, very revealing. Listen to Paul's response. Romans 9 20. But who are you, old man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded says it's molded. Why have you made me like Very strange response. I've always been offended by this response. Like, oh, so Paul. Like in a bad mood. Guys, ask me a sincere, honest question. Right? Has anyone ever written like that? <laughs> like, like, hey, guys. Okay, you won't be asking one. <laughs> you know? Ask my question, right? The response to fear and warning. I think the only time that in the Bible that God answered like this is with, probably with Job. Right? Stand on your feet. <laughs> Let me tell you, where were you? you know? You, you know, how many, how many, how would you have responded to this question? I know how I would. Why doesn't Paul give the objective to benefit the doubt? 
me is a fair question, first of all. I think it's a fair question. How can you how can you do that with In my in the surface of my mind, I think you can. And when I come deeper, I find it. First of all, that assumes that Paul is giving the perfect response to this objection. How can we assume that? Because it's a response. We're not reading this in the works of um, what is it? Greek, Greek uh, hero, what is it? Um, Paul is not being impatient with just being human. In fact, who's the one really responding to the objection? Who? Why is God responding? Because all scriptures are written out. Who's the ultimate author of all the scripture? Is it all or is it God? God is responsible. Second of all, the phrase, Who are you, old man? This is the phrase that, as I was meditating, I said, Who are you, old man? It's an ontological question. What do I mean by that? It's a question of being. What are you? Not what you're doing, what are your skills. It's a foundational question as to the essence of who you are. Who are you, old man? He's reminding the objector, he's reminding the objector, you are a mere man. He doesn't get into, well, you, you, you think about this. He could have said, you didn't, you didn't fulfill the law. What kind of, what kind of deal? He's not, that's not the issue. The issue here is not sin. The issue here is not like, um, you, you know, you're, you're less for whatever reason. The issue here is who you are. Man. A fundamental question of being is meant to bring into focus, into the mind of the objector, who he is. This is going to get really... <laughs> this question to me is like, whoa. You are a mere man. That's all you are. Third, the phrase to answer back to God forces a distinction, a comparison. I, I, I'm when I started to say, I know exactly what Paul's doing. I know what's going on. Who are you, old man, to answer back to God? It's a comparison. Yep. It's amazing how these questions of the sovereignty of God and confusion, right? There's, there's a danger. Who are you, old man, to answer back to God? Paul's response is meant to do what? What is Paul doing? I'll, I'll use a theological term. He's reinforcing the distinction between who you are and who God is. What we call the creator, creature, distinction. 
Creator, God. Creature, me. Distinction. We're, set, we're not the same. <laughs> right? We're, dis, we're different in every possible way. Right? Paul is reinforcing to this man the creator creature distinction. He's creator. You are creature created by the creator. Should that inform in any way? <laughs> And that distinction means that me and man has no basis of bounds. Put that in your back pocket. <laughs> right? I mean, we, we, we can be so proud and arrogant, <laughs> but we, you know. But let me ask now the, the question why would Paul need to reinforce? Why does Paul feel the need to reinforce the creator, creature? Distinction in his language. It's pretty obvious, right? Right? Uh, it, seems, it seems like you go from a question, um, why does he still find fault? Says no one can resist his will. Paul moves from there to reinforcing the creator creature distinction. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, um, can we get a couple more steps in between? You know what Why does he move to that? And that's a warning. Massive one for all of us, right? Um, the only reason that Paul would need to feel the need to reinforce the creator creature distinction is because Paul discerned that the question fails to maintain the creator creature distinction. Somehow Paul was able to discern. Well, God is discerned, God sees exactly what time. He knows exactly where this question is coming from. Right? God is God. We, we, that's why people, 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 he sees through our questions. He sees through all that. And he sees there's something going on that requires confrontation. And we're sometimes left like, whoa, 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 God, you know. But he knows amazing. God knows better than us. I mean, sometimes God confronts us and we get all bent out of shape because we were so good, right? Until the Lord begins to show you five years later, you are so full of yourself. Right? And this is one of those moments where on the surface it just seems like hostile for no reason. But it actually the question is being filled with hostility. Let me ask you a question. What is the meaning of failing to maintain the creative creature distinction? What the Is, is the failing to maintain the creator-creature distinction, is that a serious problem? Is that a minor problem? I mean, sometimes we, sometimes, you know, we just fail to recognize like, where these things have their roots. Failing to maintain the creator-creature distinction. Where did that begin? Thank you very much. <laughs> I like the response. Where did that begin? In the Garden of Eden? No. 
Go to Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14. Ah, the people preach. Who's speaking? Say, Lucifer. I will ascend the heights above the heights of the mountains. I will make myself finish it. Like, like the most high. <laughs> he failed to maintain the distinction between who he is, glorious, created being, and the creator God. Right? He failed to maintain it. It got blurry. I will be like the most high. You see how when, when we fail to maintain that distinction, it's serious business. Because the roots of that are not innocent. The roots of that, we may be not conscious of all that we're doing. And you know how many times we do things that we have no idea, right? I'm pretty sure that when Jesus, when Peter goes to Jesus, and uh, Jesus said, no, you're not going to go to the cross, right? And Peter says, get behind me. Satan, what does this have to do with Satan? I'm just asking you a question. <laughs> and he had no idea that Satan had fueled his mind. Like, right, right? We're so vulnerable to something we don't even realize it. Right? That's why we need to be humble ourselves that and ask God, God, deliver me because the heart of man is deceitful about all things. Who can know it? And this question, right? Can I understand, you know? How can, how can God find fault? Now, man is not more responsible, right? Man is not really, right? All, right? It, it's just, these questions, sometimes they come from a failing to make a distinction between who God is and who we are. How, how are you? How are you? How do we in our daily lives fail to maintain that distinction? I think about Psalm 46. How many times the Lord had to tell you, be still and know that what? I am God. Not you. The implication is there, but you're not God. I am. And God, God, is, God sees that oftentimes we have, because of our nature, because of our fallen nature, we have this bent on acting like God, and we sometimes don't even know it. And so God has to intervene in his kindness and say, be still. Know that I am, I am God, not you. I do as I please. I don't have to give you an account of anything. Like, right? Like, if we were to really understand that I'm, I'm sorry, I don't like my circumstances, but I, who am I to tell God, why did you do this? That that question fails to maintain the creative people. But it didn't stop. It didn't stop in, in, in Lucifer. Lucifer failed to maintain and he fell and he became a man. <laughs> I, think, I think in Isaiah 14, he, he said, oh, look at, look at this man, like, you know, just a creature. I mean, he was glorious. I mean, Lucifer was pretty awesome. I mean, you not have your body that is made of music. That's pretty awesome. Pipes. Glorious, right? That's pretty, that's pretty impressive. But he's nothing compared to God. Amen? Amen. But you see, but this, this principle came into the garden. Look at Genesis 3 5. Genesis 3 5. For God knows that when you eat of your eyes, 
eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will, here we go again, you will be like God. Where did that come from? Lucifer. Failing to maintain the creative resource. Let me, let me, um, hold off with uh, Matthew 26. This is a good illustration of life. You know, let's hold these two things together. We're going we're gonna to magnify the sovereignty of God because I feel that I, our greatest need. We're so full of ourselves that we fail to realize he's God with none like him. And we're going to magnify that. We're going to include that really, especially in the context of the great tribulation. So we need that. But I don't want you to then err on the side of, well, God doesn't do what he wants to do. No, we need to take action and make every effort. Amen? Make every effort. Make it, pray, seek. <laughs> don't, don't, don't just, don't just like. And, and that's a tendency, unfortunate tendency of those who God begins to reveal how great He is, His absolute sovereignty, and little by little they begin to just waffle into laziness because God is going to do whatever He wants to do. And let's not be like that. Let, let's hold the two. Let's let's go forward knowing that God is sovereign over all things and that He He has ordained our obedience. He has ordained. Good things for us. Amen? Amen? But look at Matthew 26, and this is important. And as they were eating, he said to truly say to you, one of you will betray me. So this is an important point. Greatest act of greatest act of injustice. And they were also all sorrowful, began to say to him, one after another. Is it I know? You know, you know, you know, obviously everyone is like uh, really discouraged, but here, here what um Jesus, he answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish will with me will be bringing. Verse 24. The Son of Man goes how? As it is written. Who wrote it? God. <laughs> the Son of Man goes as God ordained. I, I love this. I love this. This is beautiful because, of, you know, Jesus sees his life totally in the hands of God. The Son of Man's going. My life and my entire life, every second of my life is going as God has decreed it. You know that we can all say the same thing? Do you have the confidence to say, I'm going as it is written? Think about that. Can you say that with confidence? No, I think that would be Right, 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 right. How many of us would we'll, like, we'll just like, <laughs> we'll become like, yeah. But, but Jesus, and you're like, well, Jesus was perfect, you know. Well, yeah, he was. But God was. He's God of the perfect, but he's perfect. Amen. <laughs> Emmanuel goes as it is written. What a what? Imagine living like that. Imagine living your life just so convinced that your life, every second, every moment of your life. Goes according to God's plan. Is that? Do you feel the weight of like worry and care? It's like 
It's so liberating. It is so liberating. You, you guys should really meditate on these things because it really lifts up that burden that says, you know, my life, I'm a victim. And if this person, when I have not done that to me, I'm not hurt. And I'm going to we become, we become like little prunes. Right? That's the, that's, the, that's the alternative. We blame everybody else. My boss, he didn't really, you know, he didn't, he didn't give me that raise because he likes the other person. I'm going to get back to him. Right? Come on, we, we blame. We're so full of blame. We're so full. If this person would not, if that would not have happened, if this would not have happened, right, we, we carry the burden. Jesus, no. Jesus said, no. Nah, son of man, go. As it's written. But, whoa. <laughs> right? But, whoa. Now, how's the some of you that may have not been new to the faith. How is the Son of Man going? The way of what? Crucifixion, betrayal, death. Right? All, all of that stuff that we hate. <laughs> That's how he's going. Don't think, oh, I'm really mad at him, but I. <laughs> no! First, betrayal, slap in the face, crown of thorns. <laughs> That's how he's going. He's going in that path of all this misery as it is written. Not a victim. But the other side of the coin. Oh, he's a man. And that man, by whom the Son of Man is going. Both are true. God decreed it, written, what is written of me, but woe to the one to whom the Son of Man is There you go. You just have to uphold both of them and say, okay. Since the things are going as they please, then the judgment of God is called. But woe. The world is going to go as it is written. But woe to the inhabitants of the earth, for the Lord is coming to judge. Right? Don't just say, well, the world's going to wake up. No. Both. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Right? So we uphold both of them. Let's be strong in both. Let's rest in God. I love, I love that, you know. Jesus says, the Son of Man goes as Judah betrayed him. No, he doesn't go by way of Judas. Oh, the Son of Man is going by these, these, these Jews, you know, they, they, they hate me. No, all those Romans, they, 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 they think that they all this. No, right? He saw his life unfolding by the decree of God. Amen? Amen. We're going to magnify the, um, the sovereignty of God. I want you to, this is just more instruction as you can go. I've got to uphold them. And understand that sometimes when these questions come, be careful to fail 
treat him like anybody else. He should be set apart. He's holy. Right? You know, we, we, should make, we should develop a mindset, a culture that just magnifies that outward, not just inward. Right? What good is it inward? Nobody can see it. But that outward, right? An expression of what's on the inside that we can give God what we need to give. That our worship how, how we come to church, how, how we pray, can all maintain the Korean people's culture. So God, we are so holy. I humble myself. Let's, let's be encouraged. But let's stand up. Let's stand up. Let's, let's pray. And Abby, if you, if you want to come in. When we, when we get back to this again, maybe in a couple of few weeks, um, I'm going to look at, I'm going to return to the sovereignty of God. We're going to look at the mechanics. Sometimes sovereignty of God can just be this label. This gives us a little bit more insight into how that, how God will be able to what are some of the things that are helpful. And so we're going to look at some of the, I call it the mechanics, the structure of the actual sovereignty of God to help us to see, oh, okay, that, that, that makes sense. So let's pray. We're going to, you know, um, just give a moment and we're going to sing. Let's lift our hearts in prayer. Father, thank you. We're going we're to sing gratitude. Now, listen, listen, you are holy. You are holy. Father, thank you for this moment, Lord, and for the topics that are delicate. But my desire is that we would Magnify God, greatness, yet without solution. Violating, contradicting, diminishing our responsibility for you. There is a great mystery there. But help us to be a people, Lord, that would make every effort in light of the fact that you do. I pray that you will never allow laziness. Some people are just lazy even without the sovereignty of God. They're just lazy. They don't do much. I pray that you would help us to make every effort to know that you still find fault. That you will, not just according to what we have done. I just pray today, Lord, that, Lord, that we, as we move forward, let us be diligent. May we seek first the kingdom of God and of righteousness. We need you more than ever before. So help us to be faithful to your word. Help us to, Lord, to just be, Lord, faithful stewards of the gift of God. Help us to serve one another. So, Lord, we, we just welcome you for these next few minutes to come. May these words, may, may these truths just, just settle in our hearts this moment. That we might rest in your presence. There are some here who, who are failing to maintain the creation.
creator, future, and sustainer. And we do that in so many different ways. We, we take it upon ourselves. We put confidence in the flesh rather than in God. We begin to worry as if we can change circumstances. I pray right now that you would lift up from those who are burdened, that they would be still and know that you are God. You will be exalted. I pray right now, Lord, that your grace will settle in this moment. I know many here are burdened, many here are carrying burdens, but we're all carrying burdens. May we begin to just cast our cares upon you because you care for us. And you know the path that we take. And we know that our life goes as it is written and ordained by you and not by our enemies. And so, Father, I pray in this next few minutes that you would strengthen our hearts in faith, strengthen our hearts in grace, that we might rest in the Lord and in the power 